Let's seek the Lord's help as we come to that word today. Father, we thank you for this book. We're grateful for the revelation that has been entrusted to us. We pray that by the ministry of the Spirit of God, that you would open this truth to our understanding. And though there, are much, there is much against us in considering this word together today, I pray that in this way, through this technology, that you would allow us to pool our thoughts even from a distance and to seek encouragement from your word. I pray that you would teach us that word and strengthen us and give us concentration now that we would understand what you would have for us as your people. Thank you for this opportunity. and We pray that you would bless it for the glory of your name. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It was May 2nd, 1863. Lieutenant General Thomas Stonewall Jackson led 30,000 Confederate troops through a very long, really an all-day march through thick, thick woods, working his way toward the Union Army that he wanted to attack on its flank, its vulnerable flank. And at the same time, the Union Army, under the command of Major General Joseph Hooker, believed that Jackson was retreating, not advancing. And it was a beautiful spring day, and so they set up their camp in the fields and enjoyed the beauty of the day. They did what soldiers do uh, when there's nothing to do. So as Jackson is advancing upon them through these dense woods, the Union camp is sprawled out in the fields, napping, uh, they're cooking hot meals, they're playing cards, writing letters home, and whatever a soldier does to prepare for battle some other day. Well, as the Union troops are in those fields and spending this day on this, with this picnic weather, suddenly out of the woods come all sorts of wildlife. Rabbits and deer and foxes and squirrels running here and there through the Union camp. And it was uh, the strangest thing anybody had ever seen. The soldiers were baffled. They were amused by these animals. What's strange in retrospect is that no one thought anything of it. They were just amused. These creatures, the reality it was had been flushed out of the woods by, in that spot, 20,000 soldiers in tight formation. And they just flushed them right into the only place that they could go, which is the Union camp, which was precisely where the Confederate Army was headed. And in just a matter of moments, after the animals came rushing out of the woods, you can imagine who else came rushing out of the woods. And soon, as the Confederate Army came out on the Union flank, Union troops were running to catch the animals as they had been completely surprised and overwhelmed by this force. Now, history records countless moments that are illustrated by that scenario. Countless moments when the animals exit the woods, so to speak, and no one really grasps the point. But imagine that there was one Union soldier. Apparently there was not one, but imagine that there was one Union soldier who grasped what it meant when the animals began to leave the woods. That soldier would be in 
a moment of sheer terror. Those animals are not leaving the woods on their own. There's some menace that's pushing them out of that forest, and it's going to be on us soon. That man was Israel's prophet Habakkuk. He was that one man. As we look to the book of Habakkuk, and we've considered it in the past, but just thinking of it in light particularly of the circumstances that we face these days, Habakkuk sees the animals exit the woods, so to speak. In the book of Habakkuk, looking at chapter 1 and verse 1, we read, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So in Habakkuk's case, the situation was that the wildlife bursting from the woods was the evidence of Israel's infidelity to the covenant. Injustice, sensuality, pride, violence, corruption. And as these wild animals are running around society, so to speak, Israel is merely amused, reveling in the picnic weather of prosperous times. Habakkuk, for his part, is deeply troubled. As he sees these, so to speak, animals coming out of the woods, he knows there's something behind this. There's a great trouble that is awaiting. Well, he had no idea the trouble that God had in mind. He had no idea the menace that was marching through the woods in order. God reveals to Habakkuk, beginning at verse 5 of chapter 1, the menace in the woods. Here it is. The Lord, look, uh, verse 5 of Habakkuk 1, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Just to use our illustration, the menace in the woods is worse than you think. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their injustice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for, for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Soon the powerful 
ruthless, bloodthirsty Babylonian army would advance on the kingdom of Judah. The Assyrian army had destroyed Israel's northern kingdom. They knew what this meant. And now Judah would suffer the same fate. And we think, so the, the animals out of the woods, and now the revelation of the menace in the woods, and that leaves Habakkuk, thirdly, in a terrified condition, as we can imagine. In chapter 3 and verse 16, Habakkuk 3.16, he, he describes that terror uh, in very notable terms. He says, I, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's, he's afraid. The anticipation of what is coming, the trial, this is tearing at Habakkuk's soul day after day. He wanted to see Israel disciplined. He knew that was necessary, but not like this. Not Babylonian invasion. Now, we know this, and just thinking of the background of it, but remember, Israel was an ancient land bridge. On the west was the Mediterranean Sea, <clears throat> and on the east, the Arabian Desert. And to the east and to the north were the powerful nations of Assyria and, and now a, a, the growing menace of Babylon. To the south was the power of Egypt. And Israel was that bridge that linked these nations together. So if you held Israel, you could get back and forth as you needed to to the ancient civilizations that were prominent in that particular part of the world and the most powerful nations on earth. Israel's land was highly prized. So Babylon would invade Israel for her own kingdom-building purposes. However, providentially, God reveals to Habakkuk that Babylon is going to merely be a tool in his hand to discipline Israel, to discipline his spiritually rebellious people. This menace was real. It was coming. It was going to descend upon God's people. And this is not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. He is, to use the picture again, like that one soldier realizing that the animals running from the woods means that the menace, the army, is soon to burst from those woods and destroy Israel. And so Habakkuk finds himself in that position, that agonizing position of waiting for total collapse to come. We have people that at least see themselves in that position right now in our nation. The New York Times uh, recently ran titles to articles. One said this, the world we once lived in is gone forever. Another article by a British doctor says, we're headed into the abyss. And one of our 
senators, congressmen, I don't remember, but uh, one of our legislators in the, in the nation's capital said, took the same line, we are headed into the abyss. I have my questions. I certainly doubt that there's justification for such despair, but I don't know. You don't know. We don't know what the menace in the woods is. But those headlines would, would very much fit Habakkuk's world. The world as he knew it, the world that he was living in, was about to be gone forever, for that generation at least. And headed into the abyss, that was a real title for Habakkuk and his people. And so he, we find him in this book in that agonizing weight, that horrible position of knowing that something very terrible is coming and hardly being able to perceive all of the devastation that the Babylonian army would bring to Israel. It was a horrible spot to be in. But it's in the midst of this, at the very center of this prophetic book, in chapter 2 and verse 4, that Habakkuk rises to say this, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous do not live by peaceful times. That which fuels the life of God's people is not ease of circumstances. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not everything going my way. It's faith in a great God. That's our source of hope and life. And Habakkuk came to that conclusion as he's waiting for the destruction to fall. He says in chapter 2 and verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord reigns. So in faith, Habakkuk recognizes this, that God remains sovereign over all things. He is in control of all that comes to pass. He reigns from heaven's throne. Let us keep silence before him. That was hard for Habakkuk. He knew what was coming. There was anxiety that was, ran so deep that his very body trembled at the thought. And yet, he clung to this, this faith in God that he reigns from heaven's throne and our task is to wait upon him. So in that position, at this critical juncture, Habakkuk must choose how to respond. The question was not if the Babylonians would come. The question was when they would come. And not merely when, but what. What does one cling to for hope and stability when the foundations of life are shaking apart? Habakkuk is staring into the face of death. He's staring into the face of economic collapse. The animals of spiritual infidelity are dancing about in the field. And the Babylonian army is soon to burst from the woods to plunder and to destroy. Habakkuk responds to all this 
And this is his legacy. And this is the blessing to us of his experience. He comes to the end and he responds. He learns what is happening. He is terrified by it. But clinging to faith in a sovereign God, he waits coming to this final response. Verse 17 of chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let's stop for a moment and reflect. Why? Would figs and fruit and grapes and wheat and barley and other grains and olive trees fail? Why would their delectable delights go away? Where will the sheep and the goats and the cattle go? Well, obviously, the Babylonian army will devour and destroy everything. If Israel had toilet paper, the Babylonians would be taking that as well. They're coming in to take it all. This is not good. Earlier there in the book was that, is the phrase, wait for it. As Habakkuk waited for what God was going to do, wait for it. We use that phrase sometimes in a different way, but wait for it, wait for it. That's where he's at. Wait for it. This is living, breathing terror. All of these things that sustain life and give joy to life, the Babylonian army has in their sights, and there's nothing to stop them. For God himself is using them as a tool of destruction. And so, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Here's his legacy. The legacy of faith. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. And as I rest on Him, He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And He sends this to the choir master with stringed instruments. That this song would be sung. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. That's one whose faith is standing solidly on the bedrock of who God is. When all about us gives way, when the earth rumbles with the approaching menace of economic collapse or inoperable disease, the death of a marriage, the loss of a mate, the onslaught of depression, when the earth rumbles with that coming menace, Every faulty support will prove empty and powerless to sustain our souls. When we put our trust in ourselves, in money, in possessions, in health, 
in power structures, in family stability. They all fail to hold. We sing this to ourselves in our hymnody. We say what Habakkuk is saying here to ourselves, and may it, may it exhort us again. We sing the song, He will hold me fast. Put the He in capital letters. He will hold me fast. Nothing else will. We sing in our hymnody His oath, His covenant, His blood. Support me in the whelming flood. The flood of trials that come up against us that we can't withstand in our own strength. But when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. We sing in our hymnody that soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, God promises, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. This is what Habakkuk came to see. This is why he says, take off every prop, let them all go away. I stand on the solid foundation of God and God alone. It's the bedrock presence of the one true and living God that is our only hope in life and in death. And so this is his legacy. And this is the legacy of faith for all of God's people. Habakkuk chose to trust God, not cave in to the circumstances. Not allow the trials that were coming, whatever they would be, to take away his confidence in a sovereign Lord. So for us medically, financially, culturally, psychologically, our nation is under an extraordinary siege right now. And it may get a lot worse. However, this crisis merely reflects the far greater moral and spiritual crisis in which our nation is trapped. As we frolic about in picnic weather, amused and amusing ourselves, the army that advances on this nation is not a virus that will kill a small percentage of us. It is not economic collapse that's in the woods about to come out, or political turmoil. All of that may happen. But the army that advances upon our culture, upon this world, is an angelic army led by the conquering Christ who will return to judge the living and the dead. This is very bad news for those who frolic about in sin unprepared to meet that judge in his fury. But the good news is that this judgment is not the work of a ruthless, bloodthirsty king bent on destruction and plunder, bent on taking away. This judgment is meted out by the king who shed his own blood, whose robe is thus dipped in blood. Verse 13, for the forgiveness of sins. This is the one as we read verse 13 of Revelation 19. And let me start at verse 11 as I pin these ideas to the text. Revelation 19 and verse 11 reads, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the one who will come. This one whose robe is dipped in blood, verse 13, for, is for the forgiveness of sins. That is, he does come to judge. He will come to execute perfect judgment against those who violate God's law and are lost in their sin. But this one also comes with a robe dipped in blood, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the place of sinners to pay the penalty. So he comes as a redeemer, not as a plunderer. He will execute judgment, but he also gives salvation. So for those of us who have been saved from final judgment by the risen Christ, we now have nothing to fear. For those who are separated from that love of Christ, there is only the need to respond in faith to what Christ has done to pay the penalty of sin and to be not our judge but our redeemer. But for those of us who know him, to live as Christ and to die as gain. To fear God is to fear nothing else. So let us live each day rejoicing in the Lord, our salvation, our eternal refuge, and our strength. Let us as people of faith stand with Habakkuk and say, come what may, God is God. We fear him. We fear nothing else. We trust him. We have no need. With Habakkuk, may we say, come what may. God will stand strong against every storm that blows and he will hold me safe through the storm to the very end. May he find us seeking him in prayer, trusting him in hope, walking with him in faithfulness. And yes, even in these days of isolation, finding ways to shine forth his saving grace to a world that is frolicking in sin, but facing the judgment of Christ. He is the saving answer. May we be broadcasting that message of hope and faithful to Him as we cling to Him each day by God's grace.